0: Hey, this is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition, which is Q&A day. And I cannot do that without Mary Langston. By the way, Mary Langston, you know, I've been on a book tour, so I've been mm. kind of all over. When I was in California. The Reagan Library is absolutely beautiful. And the people there were wonderful until the very end where I've already talked about my book and I'm signing copies of it. And the dominant question I get in the book signing line was number one, where you were or number two, if you were a real person. (laughs) So all the time and trouble I put into writing a book and people want to ask me about Mary Langston. So I,
1: Oh no. Well, that's so kind, but you know, at least they were there for the book and I, Hope that I didn't mess that up for you.
0: No, you didn't, because I decided to just, it's easier for me to say, no, she's not real. It's a computer-generated <laughs> voice. It's just easier. It saves time. So I, do I regret, like, saying that? No, not really, because <laughs> it saved time.
1: <laughs> well, I guess it saved time, so I'll take one for the team.
0: That really is a question I get.
1: Well, that's very or not kind of people. you're a real people. person. Well, I hope they know I'm a real person and it's very kind of them to ask about me.
0: You think it's kind for people to ask, are you a real person? <laughs> that That's <laughs> your idea of a kind question.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it is kind that they thought about me and oh you as well God. and tune in.
0: Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Help me. Nobody can be that nice. Okay. Well, I'm back. and um,
1: Welcome back.
0: Uh, thank you. And hopefully... I'll be prepared to answer whatever questions may exist or, you know, do a head fake and um act like I'm answering the question when I really don't have a clue.
1: <laughs> well, we have a lot of great questions today. We will get started on those. Thank you all for sending us your questions. We'll start with a question from Blue in Texas, and he writes, I've been in law enforcement for 15 years. In your view what does the future of law enforcement look like to you at the local level? And I think he's talking about with all the news and things that have been coming up the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, it's, um, that's a great question. I I would say there's going to be a continuing effort to nationalize or federalize the police force. Um, Obviously, we don't have a federal general police force. We have a bunch of different federal law enforcement agencies. But, um, you know, the FBI, uh, ironically enough, even though they're extraordinarily well known and they have television shows and all this and the other they don't like investigate your typical homicide case like what's happening, what happened in Idaho. They're brought in to help, but it's not primarily their responsibility um, because it's not their jurisdiction. Their jurisdiction is federal. Same with DEA and ATF and Secret Service and the US Marshals. So, 90 plus percent of crime is investigated by state and local law enforcement officers. Uh, and there are no television shows about state and local law enforcement officers for the most part. So, where's it looking 15 years? this continuing effort to nationalize or federalize it. And the way they do that is with money. So they'll say, okay, state and local, we realize that y'all spend a lot of money on law enforcement. Public safety is probably, I would guess, maybe the number one, either that or education would be the number one expenditure at the state and local level. So we're going to dangle some money in front of you. We'll give you a quote grant But that grant is dependent upon you doing a bunch of things, whether that's use of force training or de-escalation training or the banning of of chokeholds or diversity training or mental health, uh, you name it, will give you the money if you do this. And all of the this may be good. Uh, Much of the this is definitely good. Uh, And it should be done right now. But why do states need to have federal money dangled in front of them to get them to do it? So whenever you get federal money, there are federal strings attached. Mm. So I, it, what, what vexes me is most people would say public safety is the number one function of government, state and local government. But yet they don't, they don't fund it. So they, they have to go to the feds to get the money. And when you go to the feds to get the money- You get the Fed's rules, and they can set the rules however they want to say it. So it's just, to me, it is vexing. If indeed public safety is the core function of government, then why are they looking to the federal government, which is already $30 trillion in debt, to provide money for what they should already be doing? So that's number one, a continuing effort to federalize or nationalize police technology. I mean, winning jury trials is only going to get harder because jury expectations are only going to get higher. Mm -hmm. We watch these shows where they solve all the crimes in an hour and they've got touch DNA and they've got all this magnificent technology, some of which doesn't exist at all. And almost all of which doesn't exist in most of your local law enforcement agencies. So as jury expectations get higher, um, it's going to be tough um, to win trials uh, if you're the prosecution. Uh, winning jury trials if you're a prosecutor, and this involves cops too. I mean, the reason that cops make arrest is so there'll be a prosecution, and arrest is not the end of the story.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which I, I can't say that enough, but I won't keep repeating it. An arrest for that moment may take that particular person off the street only until that particular person gets a bond, and then they're back out. The goal is a successful prosecution. So local prosecution and local law enforcement and what's going to happen to them over the next 15 years are inextricably intertwined. So you can have really, really good cops doing a really, really good job. And if your prosecutor's not any good, then what's it all for? Because you're not going to get a guilty verdict. The starting salary at elite law firms is close to $200,000 a year. That's a starting salary. Starting salary for an assistant district attorney or assistant prosecutor in some states is around $60,000. So I'm not great with math. I think that's like well less than a third. It's a really big difference. So more professional. It's going to have to become more professional because of technology and the sophistication of crime and the use of devices. I mean, we can see it in the Murdoch case right now. They are spending lots and lots and lots of time talking about when a cell phone shut down and whether or not someone used their face instead of a passcode to try to open the phone back up and that requires money. It requires expertise. You've got computer crimes involving children, which requires money and expertise. And, you know, if you are the best in the state at computers, are you going to work for a computer company? Or are you going to work for the, you know, your state law enforcement division investigating computer crimes? So high expectations and therefore the need for people who are the very best at what they do. And right now, the salary is not going to entice that or incent that. So we're going to need cops. I I hate to I hate to break this to my some of my friends on the left. Uh, But the social workers um, are not going out at two o'clock in the morning when you hear something in your backyard and you wouldn't want them to. It's not their job. And they're not going to process horrific crime scenes there's always going to be a need for law enforcement. The question is whether or not we're going to devote the money and the resources to have the very best law enforcement we can possibly have. So, And to the extent this is about Memphis, Memphis, to me, has absolutely nothing to do with training. If you need to train people not to beat someone to death, then you've made a hiring mistake, not a training mistake. I mean, Do you really have to train people? Do not beat someone who you have stopped for a a routine car stop. Do not beat that person to death. I mean, do we really need a class on that or do you just need to hire better people? Mm. Don't hire homicidal people. Mm. But I remember when the chief of police, who was a very, very dear friend of mine when I was the D.A., And we're talking about hiring because the relationship between cops and prosecutors, they don't work for one another, but they work together every day. So I needed good cops and he needed good prosecutors. And I remember him telling me, we're to the point with hiring where we just don't want there to be a record recently. Mm -hmm. Let that sink in. We're trying to hire for openings we have on the police force. We do polygraphs. We do background checks. We run criminal history. We just don't want a recent criminal history, which means that they're to the point in hiring where maybe they will look at someone who had a not so recent interaction with the justice system, or maybe an inconclusive polygraph instead of failing one. So you got to have cops who are you going to fill those slots with. And it's a tough job. The hours are miserable. Uh, people spit on you they cuss at you and that and that's the plus side of what they'll do to you
2: mm.
0: so you have to have professional law enforcement but yet you you pay them <laughs> you pay them like next to nothing federal law enforcement you can make a living as a federal law enforcement officer you can make a living you're not going to be rich but you can make a living It's really hard. I I really would have to struggle to think of a cop that I worked with that did not have a second and sometimes third job. Mm. I'd have to struggle to think of one. So uh, that blue, that's a little longer answer or maybe a lot longer answer than what you wanted. But that's my view on law enforcement in the next 15 years.
1: Well, thank you so much, Trey, and thank you, Blue, for your question. Our next question is from Ralph in New Hampshire. He writes, what do you believe are the basic elements of classical conservatism as a governing philosophy?
0: Limited, Ralph, limited. Um, A limited, if you were to ask me to define conservatism, I would say a limited government, which excels at its core functions, And inspires public confidence in the process. There'd be three tenets to it. Limited government. And so what what I would ask you is, okay, we are writing out kind of the hierarchy of where we look for what we may need in life. So, you know, maybe I need a ride somewhere. Maybe I need a job. Maybe I need help paying a heating bill. Where do we look? I mean, do we look to family? Do we look to ourselves? Do we look to friends? Do we look to the church? Do we look to the local community? Do we look to the county? Do we look to the state? Or do we look to the federal government? So, a limited conservatism to me is a limited role for government.
2: Mm.
0: And what government does do, they must be excellent at it. They must be the best at what they do. And they must also kind of inspire our trust and confidence in the process. So the first question a conservative should ask is whether this is even a legitimate government function. Is it a good idea for government? Oftentimes, uh, my friends on the other side will ask the question, is this a good idea? And that's a whole separate analysis. It's a good idea to remember your spouse's birthday. That is a good idea. Mm-hmm. It is not a good government idea. You do not need government saying you must remember your spouse or significant other's birthday. So there are a lot. It's a good idea to save for retirement. It's a good idea to save money in case you have a roof issue or an unexpected plumbing issue. Is it government's job to make you do that? To make you set money aside. So the dichotomy to me is immediate. It's not just, is this a good idea? Is it a good idea, a logical extension of what we expect from government? I mean, there are tons of things that are good ideas. They're just not government centric. Government is not required to do it.
2: Mm.
0: So uh, conservatism to me is limited. And then you have to be able to make the case for it. So there is literally no one that I serve with in Congress that I would like sit down and take a back seat to on the issue of domestic violence. I mean, there are plenty of people that devoted a lot of their career and their energy and their um, and their emotions to domestic or interpersonal violence and fighting it. But I would I would not take a back seat to anyone. The question then becomes when Congress is debating a violence against women bill, I mean, I don't know a soul that's not opposed to violence against women. I really don't. I don't know a soul. The question is: since domestic violence is exclusively a state and local matter in terms of prosecution, why is the federal government funding it? If it is And in in our state, Mary Langston, we rank in the top 10 almost every year in men committing acts of violence against women. Uh, And that should be a stain on the collective conscience of our state. We should be embarrassed by that. And we should be embarrassed enough that we devote the resources at the local and state level to making sure we're not in the top 10. Mm. We should not be waiting around on Congress to do that. Tort reform. I mean, the states control their own civil justice system. So why is Congress passing something for all fifty states? Conservatism is the the issue. The solution needs to come at the smallest level it can come, the most limited level it can come. That, to me, is conservatism. Now, I'm not going to contrast that with uh, liberalism or socialism. I think people can do that for themselves. I will contrast it with populism, which is also kind of rearing its head right now. Populism is really easy. Just go figure out what people think or believe or feel and repeat it back to them. It's easy. There's like no consistent uh, message there. There's no set of deeply held convictions. You just need a pollster to find out what people think. And then repeat it back to them. I mean, you can actually get a, maybe a well-trained rhesus monkey to do it. Mm. But that's not conservatism. Conservatism tells people what they need to hear, what they ought to hear, not what they want to hear. So limited, it's got to be competent. And when I talk about competency, there is a need for federal law enforcement. But that federal law enforcement better be competent and it better be worthy of respect. There's a need for federal military, but it needs to be competent and worthy of respect. So whatever we decide is a proper role for the federal government, we should have exceedingly high expectations for both competency and uh, reliability. So conservatism, to me, is limited, but without apology. It is a really good idea to be a good parent. I don't need the federal government to tell me that it's not the federal government's job to incent that Mm -hmm. that can be done a lot closer to where I'm at than Washington. So that's my definition of conservatism.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back.
0: From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
1: I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Our last question from Connie in Georgia. She writes, what in the new book was the most challenging to write?
2: Hmm.
0: That's a good question. Um, probably writing about the times you do not succeed or you have, at least according to other people, lost or failed um, is hard because you have to relive what could have been or what might have been or what should have been. And you can't do anything about it. And I'm not like super big on dwelling on things that I cannot change. I mean, there's there are people who do that. All day every day that's all they want to do, and i can't if I can't fix it, then I mean, I can learn from it, but it didn't do any good to to like dig up those bones over and over and over again, so it is hard to acknowledge that you missed an opportunity that won't ever come back around again. It was hard writing about leaving the prosecutor's office because. You know, I love that job. And, you know, anytime there's a high-profile case and I'll catch a glimpse of it on television, I mean, I don't ever, like, wish I was back on the floor of uh, the house. I don't ever, like, sit around thinking, oh, gosh, I wish I could clerk for a federal judge again. I do sit around and think I'd love to be prosecuting that case. But uh, it's too steep of an admission price, so... You know, as i write about in the book it doesn't happen to everybody but it you know happened to me you lose something that you're not ever going to get back and that's hard to accept so um but kind of the overarching thing i think about i think a lot of people that write books um probably aspire for it to be what's called a bestseller that was it's not what motivates me. I I did want to write a best helper, not a bestseller, but a best helper. Mm. I wanted to write something that helped people with their lives. So, because um, yeah, one I got one shot at it, so you know whatever mistakes I made, they can learn from. And that was uh, I wouldn't say it's hard. Man, mean, so, some of it's hard. It's hard to know you walk down a road you're never going to walk down again. I mean, but you can't dwell on it. Uh, all you got is the windshield it's every good na- it's good every now and again take a look back in the rearview mirror just to make sure nobody's following you too closely but got to focus on the windshield so that was a hard part had to do a lot of rearview mirror time writing this book mm-hmm. but i'm sure mary lynx and all of it was hard to read i'm sure wasn't it
1: <laughs> <laughs> not at all and it will help people and i'm sure it's already helping people That's a great perspective to have, not for the bestseller list, but to actually help people.
0: You know, there are only really two people I can think of. You know, when my friends call me and they ask me about the book, the first question they have is, am I in it? (laughs) But you never asked that. And Terry never asked that. (laughs) But uh Radcliffe is mad at me because there's not a, like an index or a glossary of terms in the back where he can just find his name and go to those pages. He doesn't want to read all of it to find this stuff about him.
1: He just wants to know what page he's on.
0: That's all he cares about is what pages am I on? I, I, I doubt McCarthy would verbalize it that way, but he, <laughs> might, he might also think that. But you and Terry have never said, hey, what pages am I on?
1: Maybe you could find the page of Radcliffe and sign his copy on that page or something.
0: Uh, No, he's going to need to read it all. (laughs) He's going to need to read it all. But thank you, Connie, for uh, that question. Mm. And and thank you, Mary Langston, for allowing me to be your guest on (laughs) another one of your podcasts.
1: Well, thank you for letting me be on your podcast. And thank you all for all your questions. We always look forward to it. They're very challenging, and I always look forward to hearing what you're going to say, Trey, because you're definitely not a robot.
0: (laughs) You know what would be a real challenge and also a lot of fun? What is that? Is for you to answer the questions on a couple of Thursdays. That would be terrifying. No, it'd be fantastic. Let me ask. Also,
1: I would have no knowledge. So thankfully, you answer the questions. That's not true. Well, I'm letting
2: proof
0: you can make it up. You don't have to know the answer.
1: No, you, you are that. wise. So we'll stick with you answering the questions unless that'd... it's about, you know, the weather or something I like that. I think that'd
0: be a blast. I think it'd be a blast for people to start asking you questions. <laughs> and then I get to read them to you. And who knows? I may like add in some that are Love like it. especially tough. And that would be
1: nerve wracking.
0: Make up a name. It will be Bob. Bob from Arizona, then that'll be your clue that it's really a fake question.
1: (laughs) That'll be my clue to mute myself and turn it back to you. because there's nobody named Bob
0: in Arizona. So that should be your clue.
1: Could be Robert,
0: but yes. All right. You take care of yourself and we will see everybody in a week on Thursday. Um, Y'all have a great week. Bye.